Okay. So today we have a special guest, uh, Veronica Karras. She is an author. She's um, a certified financial planner. She's a senior leader for Tony Robbins uh, courses. Um, and we're going to talk about helping people saving money and how to become financially free. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tony. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm really excited. So thank you for We're having happy me. to have you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we try to get um, certified and qualified guests that actually we think have an honest message and they're genuine because we're just trying to help uh, people, you know, promote um, a healthy way to save and invest and, you know, use the stock market. And there's a lot of bad advice out there. So <laughs> yes, that's actually why I'm in this field. So a little bit of a personal story here, but you know, my family immigrated here in the early nineties and it was few years later, probably about five or six, my grandfather was able to um, bring over some money from, we're from Belarus. Um, and he walked into his local bank and said, Hey, you know, I have, you know, it's probably like $40,000. What, what can I do with it? And the person there who was the only Russian speaking person sold him, you know, nine annuities across $40,000 worth of assets. Some of them had ridiculous features like a 1% guaranteed return with 2% guaranteed annual fees. So you're just basically guaranteed <laughs> money, yeah. um, you know, 20 year lockups and all of that. And so, you know, when I was uh, sometime in high school, my grandfather was like, Hey, you know, you've been working here for a few years and you understand the American system better than I ever could. Could you just take a look at what I have um, luckily I had a great social studies teacher at the time who helped me figure it out. Cause I didn't know, you know, I was 16. No one teaches you finance in school. I didn't know what I was looking at. And, um, you know, my social studies teacher very gently told me, you know, someone had taken advantage of him. I did a lot of online research to figure out if that was definitely true or not turned out to definitely be true. And it got me really curious about this field and, you know, what allows someone to behave that way, like the advisor, right? Because it has to be something in the system that allows someone to take advantage uh, other than morals and ethics. Um, but I believe, you know, if you're in the field, you're giving, you're dealing with people's livelihoods and all of that, there has to be a way that the system protects individuals. And unfortunately, it doesn't. Right. Which actually leads me, since we were just talking about school and how they don't teach you what you need to know to, to be a functioning adult in society. Um, I was looking at your books on Amazon, Money Matters. You got uh, everything you should have learned in school, but you didn't. And then you have uh, Money Matters, Merging Lives and Merging Finances. So yeah. I was just talking about this with my brother and some of my friends yesterday about how um, you go to school, you take all these classes in college and high school, and then like 85% of the stuff you use or you learn, you, you never use it. And it's like, they don't teach you how to balance a checkbook, you know? <laughs> yeah. They don't teach you how to stay out of debt. So, so tell us yeah. about your books. Yeah. So Sorry. my first book was a passion project stemming from exactly what you're talking about. You know, I'm sure you know, as well as I know, a lot of just really seemingly successful people making good money who are struggling, right? So that's a lot of my friends. A lot of my friends were in this position for a long time and um, a lot of clients, kids and all of that, it's, it's universal. 
Um, because you don't, you don't learn anything about finances. You don't learn the impact taxes will have. You don't learn how to fill out a W-4 form and what it really means. You don't, you know, there's still hundreds of uh, probably millions of people who walk around going bonuses are taxed higher than everything else. Right. Which is just not, you know, it's not true, but people don't know because we're not taught how, you know, paychecks work and FICA taxes and everything else. Right. And so the first book was born from, you know, what did I really wish I learned before I filled out my first employment documents? What do I know? What do I want to know about employee benefits and credit? And, you know, ever while we don't learn about finances in school, they are quick to, in college at least, show you all of the great credit card offers. Um, they yeah. are quick to push expensive colleges and have you take out huge student loan debt to get there. And you don't even learn about the different options of student loan payoff programs that exist, right? So all of those things wrap into the first book. And the second, you know, so I kind of envisioned it like for people graduating high school all the way through college, just the foundations of someone's financial life. And then the second book is really for me then what I would see as the next stage of someone's life. Okay, so now you have a good foundation for your own financial life. What does that look like when you're, starting to build a life with somebody else and merging finances. And now it's not just your lack of financial knowledge and upbringing that you had, it's theirs in combination with it and how you have those conversations without a lot of tension. You know, we learn to your point, we learn history, for instance, all for all of, you know, your schooling. And so none of us have any tension about talking about history or arguing about it, right? You see it on Facebook every day. People argue about history back and forth all the live long day, but we don't talk about money because right. we don't have that same, you know, it's not a zone of comfort. Nobody um, really understands what it is until, unless you're in this field or you have really savvy parents. And there are a lot of parents out there who don't want to involve their kids in their finances, good or bad. Um, so it's sort of a double-edged sword. And I kind of, uh, saw the second book as, you know, an independent third party that could facilitate conversations between two people on the uncomfortable, uh, conversations around money. Right. Yeah. And to your point, uh, one of the scariest stats that I saw recently on, I think it was Forbes was the average American doesn't have $400 to cover an emergency. So that's yeah. just absolutely insane to me. And, um, we definitely need to teach people that how to be responsible with money. And just like you said, if your parents didn't teach you how to be responsible with money when you were growing up, then you're going to learn the hard way. You're going to make bad decisions. Yep. That's exactly right. So hopefully we can prevent a few of those. I, I hope so. So, <laughs> um, so we are, you know, we're a stock market and investing podcast, but yeah. our very first episode, what we said, we talked about things you need to do before you invest or, you know, before you do anything with the stock market is you need to build an emergency fund. You need to have three to six months. I prefer six months. I always like to have six months in mind, but um, it's just so important. And I, I see on the forums, I'm in a lot of forums and we have thousands of people on there and people are like, uh, what do you think of this stock? What do you think of this stock? And I'm like, well, first of all, like, what's your, what are your goals here? And do you have a emergency fund? And people are panicking. Like, should I sell this? Like investing is not about panicking. It's buying and holding. You shouldn't need to sell it. You should have money in an emergency fund. So 
So that brings me to my point is, so you're a certified financial planner. Mm-hmm. Is this, are these the type of things that you talk about with clients? Like, I, I don't know anything about certified financial planner. So that's why I wanted to bring you on to talk to you about what that even means and, yeah. and what is it that you do? Right. So certified, the best way I like to think about myself, and this is sort of a, a metaphor that only really works if you're in the US, but I always like to say, tell people I'm the quarterback to their financial lives. <laughs> So what does that really mean? Um, other than, you know, hopefully See, I'm that. at least as I good at what that. I do as Tom Brady is at what he does. But um, aside from that, um, can I just really say, means- I don't think anybody as good as Tom Brady is what he does. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're never <laughs> going to match that. So go ahead. Sorry. To interrupt you. <laughs> um, so what it really means is we help, I help people walk through all aspects of their financial life and, you know, for lack of a better term, optimize it and make it efficient to meet to meet their goals, right? So a lot of times people say things like, I want to start a business or I want to buy a house or whatever. Every goal most people come up with has a dollar cost to it, whatever right. that looks like. If you're starting a business, maybe you save up the money yourself or you get a loan or whatever, but the financials still have to align. Or if you're looking to um, buy a house, obviously there's a dollar to that. If you have, you know, there are people who come to me and they're like, I don't really have financial goals. Your real financial goal is working towards the day. You don't have to work anymore, right? Everybody is going to hit that day, regardless of whether you're planning to work forever or not. There's a point where you will not be working some point in your life. And so your financial life at all the components of it have to support that. So that includes, you know, taxes, insurance and risk management, estate planning, multi-generational planning, you know, retirement planning um, and projections, and of course, investments, right? So it's, for me, it's not like if I had a nickel for every time someone's like, what stock do I buy right now? I'd be a gazillionaire because that's the first question people ask financial advisors for whatever reason, especially at parties. Um, but the reality is it's not the stock that's going to make or break you. It's what are your goals? How soon are they? How prepared are you or how not prepared are you to make them happen? Right. So people who tell me like, I just got married. I want to have four kids. You know what? Those four kids are not just like a biological goal. They're also a financial goal. You have to financially plan for children, which most people do not do. Right. So that's what I do. I quarterback all of that. Awesome. So what's the difference between a a certified planner and an advisor? So a certified financial planner is someone who deals with all the aspects in financial planning. There's an actual process. There's a board. You take an exam. It's brutal. You take courses. You have to be able to deliver, you know, look at someone's financial life and say, these are all of the different areas that there are gaps in or need changing or something like that. Uh, which means like you have to know how to read legal documents, like estate plans and tax returns and investment strategy and everything else. Understand employee benefit programs, soup to nuts. A regular financial advisor just has to pass a series seven and 65, I think, or six and then 63 and 66, which equips them to sell financial instruments. It does not mean that they know or understand the other components of someone's financial life. It knows that they, it just means they passed, uh, it's a FINRA exam 
that okay. means they understand the financial instruments they're selling. All right. That's interesting. That's good to know. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that may be listening that have no idea what they might think it's the same thing. I, I didn't know. So that's why I wanted to ask. Yeah, um, absolutely. So what are your tips or advice for someone that comes to you and said, how do I, what's the, 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 what's a way I could build an emergency fund quickly and what things can I cut out of my budget or what can I do to help uh, expedite that? So glad you asked that question. Um, I, I think if you show me someone's budget, I can tell you what their priorities are, right? And I always say that. I can tell you exactly what you value most in your life if you tell me where you're spending your money um, because it's a direct indicator, whether it's intentional or not. So what I always tell people is figure out where your money is going. The first place is knowing where you're starting with. Figure out where your money is going and figure out whether it really aligns with your priorities. The second thing is I always say treat your savings like, like an expense category, right? Almost like a fixed expense category, except that it comes out first. So for me, I'm a big proponent of the pay yourself first method of saving. And it's why 401ks and those types of plans work so well for a lot of people who are not great savers. It's because it comes right out of your paycheck. So for me, I always split my paycheck so that 20% of it goes into my savings slash for me, it's an investment account. Um, so, cause I do my cash maintenance right in my investment account. So I have, and then it's 20% right off the top after 401k contributions. And that really means that I have 80% of my paycheck available to spend. Um, and I've done that since I was like 16. <laughs> See, that's why you're in the position that you are today, because you have to start <laughs> that from an early age. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, oh. I got really lucky in that, you know, I had some great people around me who kind of helped and filled in the gaps. And honestly, we live in an age where you can go and you can find anything out online. And so for me, once I found out what happened to my grandfather, I was like, I will not allow that to be like a legacy that this family carries Smart. on. And I just started Googling, like, what are good money habits and figuring it out. And you know, that also, that doesn't mean, by the way, I saved and invested every single penny I ever made. But for me, it was building that habit of setting money aside. And, uh, you know, at the time, I think I made $5.25 an hour making sandwiches at Subway. So we're not talking about big money, but it was 20% nonetheless, right? It's always been that. Um, and it just, it's a way, and, you know, there are things that come up along the way. It's how I, bought a house before age 30 and, you know, all of these other things that come to come the way it's just, and of course that depleted some of it, but I was able to do those things earlier than a lot of people because I just, you know, I took control of the situation early on for sure. That's smart. Um, so as far as like, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is the, your experience. Well, actually, let me back up real quick. So yeah. one of the books that I read that was so helpful, sorry, I think my video is lagging a little bit, but sorry about that. I don't know if you can notice that or not. No, okay. you're good. So one of the books I read um, that was really helpful for me was Richest Man in Babylon and mm -hmm. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm sure you've read those as a financial planner. Um, and that's where you learn save 10%, everything that you make, you save 10%. It's yours to keep. 
And once you build up that nest egg, then you can move over to investing and taking chances with your money. And I think people want instant gratification with savings where, you know, putting away $20 a week or $30 a week of anything you make, you know, if you make $300 a week and you put away $30, it seems like nothing, but over 10 years, that's a lot of, you know, it's $30,000 you just saved. And mm-hmm. a lot of people don't think of it like that. It's, it's, you got to start off small and just chip away and chip away. And I think people get overwhelmed. They just want to see a huge amount of money right away in their savings. And it just doesn't work like that. Yeah. I mean, I think patience is key, right? There's always that parallel, like the younger you start, it doesn't matter. The one thing you can't make up for is age, right? I think a lot of people have this thing where like they're comparing how much they've they've saved. If you're just starting out and you're, I don't know, 25 years old, you're comparing how much you have versus like a 45 year old. It's an unreasonable comparison, right? Because they have time on their side. So I think patience is key. Um, I, I'm also a big proponent of emergency funds for me because the cash cash pays nothing these days. And if we were having this conversation in 2005, 2006, give very different advice. So, you know, if the, interest rate situation changes, just reserve the right to change here. But for me, I like to keep those uh, holdings in short-term bonds because at least they're earning something. I'm a big proponent of your savings have to at least out earn inflation. Anything you're invested in, including cash, has to at least out earn inflation. So I keep about two months worth in cash in terms of expenses, which is on the shorter side. But also, I understand investing in the markets and bond and interest rate volatility and bond pricing and all of that. So I have a comfort zone there that most people would not typically have. Like for me, when the stock market crashes, I go, I buy into the stock market very aggressively. Um, and if you're the type of person who's going to panic and sell when the whole world is selling, then you definitely need to keep more cash than the average person. Exactly. Exactly. So where do you keep? So uh, I have an, a high interest savings account and I do, uh, I have some money, you know, liquid in a regular savings account. If I need it right away, I have money in stocks and bonds like yourself. So where do you, how much do you recommend the average person allocate in each type of account? Yeah. So for me, I'm probably closer, depending on age um, here, but if we're talking about my age and your age, um, as long as you're pretty secure in your income, I'd say three to six months of expenses as well in cash. Um, I'm right now, because of where interest rates are, I'm closer to the three month side of what I recommend to people only because at high earning income levels, um, and things like that. Like, it's just hard to keep that much in cash and see it do nothing for a really prolonged period of time. So, um, and then once you get over that, I really think, um, again, depends on, on what you're looking for. You know, somebody recently told me Canada, Canadians have this, uh, benchmark that whatever your age is, that's how much you should have in bonds. That's what I thought I heard, was a really yeah. interesting concept because it's not that far off. It's an easy benchmark, right? So for me, I think it, it, of course, you get more conservative over time, but the average 50-year-old probably should have about 50% in bonds. Um, I'm also, I do a lot of, or some in alternative investing. So there's a little bit of a category break there, but I would say I'm 60% in equities, 
20% fixed income, 20% alternatives. And I'm rolling cash into fixed income. So what is, what does alternatives mean? Uh, alternatives are like hedge funds, funds oh. of funds, things like that. Strategic opportunities that are out there. Um, I'll consider um, commodities an alternative as well. So gold, silver, things like that. Do you invest in any crypto? I do not. And I'll tell you why. I'm a <laughs> big, 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 big proponent of only investing in things you really understand. And I can't say that I really understand how crypto works. Yeah. So I've talked to a lot of um, high-end investors and they've all said the same thing. It's just, it, it doesn't make any sense and it, you can't invest in something that doesn't make sense to you and you yeah. don't really see a tangible value to it, you know? Um, yeah. So that being great. said, I have clients who are really into the crypto space, uh, whether they were mining from early on and all that, who really understand it really well. And shoot, like if you understand it, then then and you think this makes sense to you, then then I'm all for it. I just don't. So I don't invest in it. Yeah, I, I've done a lot of research on it. We've filmed some episodes on breaking down Bitcoin and it's just, it's so tough to, to put a value on it. And I, I know like uh, Bank of America and all these high-end hedge funds and firms are coming out and saying it's going to be 140,000 next year, but it's like, based on what? I, I can't invest my money in that based on nothing, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I always advise people to stay away from Bitcoin unless they want to put a very small percentage of their portfolio in it, just as a, you know, a, a speculation thing, you know, not too much money to where you're going to miss it because Bitcoin could literally drop to zero tomorrow. Whereas if you invest in an S&P 500 index or some type of index fund, the chances of it dropping to zero and you losing all your money, you'd have to have an apocalyptic event for that to happen. So... <laughs> Yeah, I definitely agree with that sentiment. Um, I think I, I don't know enough about Bitcoin to know where it's going to go in a year or anything like that. But I agree. I think at this point, it's speculative gambling for most people. Most people who invested in Bitcoin early on even are surprised that it's as high as it is. So and, and while they believe it could go higher, it's based on just, you know, that a lot of people say there's a paradigm shift or whatever. I don't understand enough about any of that. So I'm going to invest in the things I know well and I can research and understand fully. I agree a hundred percent. And I think anybody that says they know for sure what's going to happen with Bitcoin, I would run away from those people because <laughs> you just can't <laughs> trust anybody that says they know what's going to happen with crypto. But, for sure. Um, and it's so, the same with like, if somebody came to you and they were like, I know for sure this American horse manure stock is going to go through the roof you know, three years from now, I'd be skeptical of that advice too. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I do want to, I did want to talk to you about your ex, uh, experience at Tony Robbins, because he's a big time entrepreneur. He's a uh, bestseller, so many books. Uh, he's a life coach, an inspirational guy. So tell me, <laughs> tell me how you got into that and tell me about your experience there. I mean, honestly, how I got into it was my friend was really into it and dragged me to an event. Um, I was not in, I'll say, a really great high point place emotionally in my life at the time. And she was like, hey, you need something to kick you out of the funk. I know that this isn't the Veronica that I know. Um, Tony is a big enough guy. Maybe he can kick you, kick you into gear. 
Um, so we went and I sat there with my arms folded the whole time and tried not to play full out. And then at the end of day one, it was an unleash the power within event. Um, you walk on fire and it was outside and we did it. We walked on fire and I, there was no pain for me whatsoever. Right? Like some people report getting like blisters or little souvenirs as we call them in Tony land from it, but it was literally like painless. And it was because there was a lot of work done throughout the day on your emotional and mental state. And so all, most of Tony's teachings are strategies on how you manage yourself, your state, your energy, what you're bringing to, with you to how you show up. And if you look at the world around you, the people you probably like best and know best and see out there have incredible energy, right? Either it's heartwarming energy or it's just really big energy, or it's, you can feel that they're genuine, as you said, from the get-go, that's what you're looking for in this show. Yes. Yes. And so genuine is for a lot of people, a state, right? It's how you show up as your most authentic self. And a lot of times we have life events, traumatic, you know, some of mine have been traumatic and otherwise that, you know, change us and sort of, we start building these like layers sort of a protection where we're not bringing the energy because we feel like we're not ourselves. And so that's how I got started in it. That first event like changed my life. I can't even, I don't even know how to like put it into words, but like I was not in a good place in any relationship that I had, family, friends, or intimate. Um, I got married like a year and a half after that. Um, I was, I actually had debt at the time from school and things. Um, you know, saved up enough to buy a house, make multiple, multiple six figures. I mean, all of these things that were life shifts. I mean, I had a book in my head that I could not just get out and write. I had so much like lack of confidence around it. And it just, it did, it did what it was supposed to do. It throttled me. And I kind of continued with what Tony was teaching because there are different areas of life, right? You know, Tony has a wealth mastery event, which I thought was interesting because I want it because he really teaches people who don't know anything about money, how to invest and turn their lives into money machines. And I wanted to learn that so I could teach it better for my clients um, and for people as I do speaking and things like that. Um, then he has a life, life mastery event. That's all about like how you fuel your body and move your body and things like that. And I kind of just kept going and it, it slowly, you know, sort of like adjusting the knobs on the different areas of your life slowly got tuned up to where it needed to be. And here I am. I mean, I'm a senior leader only because I hope that I can have somebody else can, I can help somebody else have the, um, you know, sort of amazing turnaround that I had. That's awesome. That's amazing. And uh, I, I definitely want to talk as soon as I saw that on your profile. I was so <laughs> excited because I've watched a lot of Tony Robbins videos. He's very inspirational. I watched <laughs> a lot of the ones about his uh, stock market advice. Mm -hmm. um, and he, he definitely talks a lot about index fund investing. And it's, it's just an absolute tragedy that more people aren't investing. I mean, I think it's only like 50%, 52% of the United States people in the US invest, which is just, it's unbelievable. Yes. But, um, yeah. and so, a large part of those are only because they do it through their 401ks. So they're kind of yeah, automatic investors. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And they don't even know what they're investing and they don't know their fees. They have no idea yeah. that they're being charged maintenance fees and one to 2% management fees, 
and you can just go and uh, go on a, a brokerage and buy ETFs for fees that are nothing, $6 for every $10,000 you invest or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. There's so many great ones out there. But um, yep. no, so I, I think I, I really appreciate your time. I just wanted to wrap it up with um, what, what's your advice out there for people that are just buried in debt and they just feel like they can never get out of it. They have massive student loans or car payments or whatever. What advice do you give those people for chipping their way out of that debt? Yeah, I have two pieces of advice and I do cover this in book one. Um, one is make a list of all of your debt and, and the interest rates and sort it from highest, most expensive debt to lowest, whatever that looks like. You want to make minimum payments on everything except that top line until that top line item is paid off and then work your way down the list. So you're going to set a budget aside for debt, basically. The next thing I want to give as an advice, which I always, always give is don't be afraid to negotiate on fees and interest rate and everything else. Credit card companies that are charging you 27%, just think about that. They're charging you 27% interest. You're earning 0.01 at the bank, Um, maybe 0.5 if you have a high interest bearing account, right? Um, So don't be afraid to call and say, look, I'm I'm getting swallowed by my debt. I I need some help. Can you give me, you know, six months, 12 months, five years of zero interest? Put me on a payment plan. If you're facing a hardship, like there's really like you lost your job and you're in debt, call them, ask for a hardship payment plan. Every credit card company has them. They just don't disclose them because they don't like to give them out, right? Zero interest for a long period of time. Um, but it'll close the account. It won't affect your credit. Um, and you will just slowly pay off the debt with the interest frozen. So at least it's not growing. And same thing, that's an account. Like if it's going to be zero interest for three years, you would then pay the minimum that you had to on that and focus on any, any credit cards or other debt that could not be zero interest. I would say take advantage of every and any opportunity. Like I remember when I had credit card debt at some point, cause college, um, I, you know, I called every single month and said, what are your promotions on interest rates? And they would be like, well, we just gave you a promotion last month. I'm like, I don't care. I want to know what this month is. Um, and they run promotion cycles all the time. So just don't be afraid to ask for, for, and negotiate. I mean, it's money out of your pocket and I can promise you Visa and American Express and MasterCard will be just fine if they give you a deal. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, so where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? And I mean, I know your books are on Amazon. I'm going to put the links in the video description. Yeah. Yeah. The best place to reach me is just veronicacaris.com. Um, I'm the Veronica Karras across social media. If you're looking on Instagram, you can follow me. Um, and if you want to write me an email or call me, my phone number is everywhere. It's uh, my email is just Veronica at Veronica Keeping it awesome. simple. And do welcome everyone. If anyone needs help, I'm happy to help and, you know, spend 15 minutes with you and figure out the best way forward so that you can, you know, if you're in debt or you have some other hardship situation, I'm more than happy to help. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. 
from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you to all our listeners and subscribers out there. Um, One thing that would help us out a lot is if you give us a rating and please leave a review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like. And if you have any suggestions for future shows of of any type of subjects you would want us to cover, let us know. We're open to all suggestions. And um, also, the last thing I would say is it's also very, very helpful if you go over to our YouTube channel and you subscribe to that as well. And the YouTube channel has a lot of great Uh, We added a lot of photos and helpful aids that will help you understand a little bit better the things we discuss in the podcast. But um, once again, thanks for all your support and uh, stay tuned for the next episode.